Well, hey, good morning, everybody. We are going to be in John chapter 5. Thank you. John chapter 5, if you want to take your Bibles or turn on your devices, whatever it might be. It's good to be back with you. And this morning, we're going to look at a passage that really is a story um, that is a turning point in the ministry of Jesus as he walked here in earth, on earth in relationship with the religious leaders of the day. You see, up to this point, the religious leaders, they kind of maybe looked at Jesus with a little bit of intrigue, wondering where he was going, what he was going to be doing, um, maybe a little dumbfounded about some of the things that he said or some of the miracles that had been done. Um, up to this point, um, they had um, maybe even just tolerated Jesus because other people had come on the scene and claimed to be different things and, and people who were, uh, you know, like sent from God and stuff like that. But this story here, uh, from this point on, the religious leaders, uh, they wanted to put an end to Jesus. They really, they wanted to stop him. They wanted to stop his, his, the, this movement that was starting. Uh, they wanted to stop it from going any further. And so from this point on, the scriptures will tell us that Jesus, um, that, that he was somebody that they sought to kill. Because Jesus, when he came, he did things that other people had not done, and he, um, you know, he claimed things that the, that the religious leaders didn't necessarily like, and he, um, he didn't necessarily adhere to their religious tradition. And so these guys, these religious leaders of, of, the, of the day, uh, they saw Jesus as being a threat to them. Again, they saw him as a threat because Jesus had some influence that they never had. Uh, when Jesus spoke, people would say of him, man, he speaks like nobody else that we've ever heard, heard before. And so uh, Jesus had influence that the religious leaders, it's not that they didn't have any influence, but it was a greater influence and led people to a different place than where they were trying, where the religious leaders were trying to lead the people. And uh, Jesus was also a threat to them because he was doing things in a way that had never been done in a way that they didn't want things done sometimes even. And that's kind of what we're going to see here in this story today. And so I want to just jump right into our passage. John chapter 5, we're going to start in verse, in verse 1. And it says this, it says, Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Now, obviously, the word afterward is one of those words that kind of causes you to make maybe stop and kind of look at what had happened before. Right before this, there was, there was a healing that had taken place, and before that, was, was a conversation that Jesus had where he went out of the way to have this conversation with a woman at a well. And we're going to talk just a little bit about her in just a moment. But it says that Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. And inside the city near the Sheep Gate was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. And crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. So Jesus comes into Jerusalem, and he comes uh, to Jerusalem around the time of one of the festivals, one of the feasts uh, that, that they would uh, commemorate, that they would remember uh, throughout the year. And we're not sure which one. We're not sure which one, and that doesn't really matter because Jesus, as we're going to see, Jesus didn't come into Jerusalem at this time for the feast to be able to keep the tradition of the feast. We're going to see that Jesus came into Jerusalem, and he came here not for tradition, but he came here uh, to actually reach people. And we're going to see a healing that takes place. And Jesus was, uh, was coming into town specifically for this. It was for the people. It wasn't for the religious tradition. 
we see that he comes to this place where there is like this pool of water surrounded by five different columns. And this in a place where this is a place where there were a great number of people that had gathered. And these were people that religious people that the culture of the day, they would have said, you kind of want to stay away from these people because they were sick. Uh, they were uh, lame, they were blind, they were deaf, and the culture of the day basically said that these people were unclean, that they were the way that they were for a specific reason, that God had cursed them. And so religious people would stay away from these kind of people that were gathered here um, around these porches and, and around this pool. They were lame again, blind, maybe even deaf. In some way, they had some kind of a physical ailment that kept them from being, from becoming all that maybe they had wanted to be. So they were there, kind of in a hopeless situation in their, in their life. The scripture goes on, and the end of verse 3 and verse 4, it's not, it's not in um, some translations of, of, of the Bible, but it does clarify some things for us. And not only that, it's kind of referred back to as we walk throughout this passage, but it says here that these people who were lame, who were sick, who were blind, who were deaf, it says that they were there around this pool waiting for a certain movement of the water. For an angel of the Lord came from time to time and stirred up the water. And the first person to step in after the water was stirred was healed of whatever disease he had. Now, as you look at this situation, I, I think it's good to understand that this is probably like a last, re, a last resort for some people. These people who had been sick, had some kind of disability or something like that, they had tried probably so many different things in life. Maybe they had gone to doctors, they had tried home remedies, maybe they went to people who had been known to maybe have some kind of supernatural power or something like that, but nothing that they had tried in their life had brought them to a point of experiencing the healing that they were looking for in their life. So they hear about this pool, and maybe they thought it was just like some urban legend or some myth. Uh, maybe they believed that it was actually true, but whatever the case was, for them, they decided that they were going to come, and this was a last resort, and they come here, and they literally have come here probably to spend the rest of their life, or at least until they may be the one who would get into the pool and to, and to be healed. They tried everything else that they could think of, and they were so desperate for healing, and I think it's good for us just to stop for a moment and to think about the fact that there are people in our life, people in our world that we live in, people that you do school with, that you work with, people that you may live next door to, that there are people in, uh, in our families, uh, maybe friends we've had for a really long time, there are people in our life that are desperate for some type of healing to come into their life. They are desperate to know that something good can actually happen. And people, when they get to, to a desperate point in their life, listen, they're willing to, to try anything and maybe try everything that they can think of for that healing to come in their life. And we know that we have these kind of people in our life. And here's, here's if you're a follower of Jesus, here's something that we also need to know along with that is this, is that we have been a people that have been placed in the lives of these people who may be sick, who are looking for some type of healing. We have been placed in their lives, not because we're a hero, but because we carry a story of a hero. 
We carry the story of a hero. We have the gospel of Jesus. And they may be physically sick, but they still need Jesus. They may be financially or relationally sick, but they still need Jesus. Jesus is their great need, not just the perceived need of the moment. He goes on in verse 5. It says, one of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. How many of you are 38 years or older in this room? I feel really old here today. He'd been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? So in this story, we're introduced to one man. There were crowds of people that were sick. Scores, hundreds, maybe even thousands of people that had gathered here in this location who were sick. But this story talks about just one man. And Jesus had come to this place and he comes to this crowd and he wasn't seeking the crowd, he was seeking the one man. And this wasn't unusual for Jesus. In chapter 4, you can go back and read it later, but we see the story of Jesus coming to the woman at the, uh, at the well, and before he got there, he told his disciples, he said, hey, we have to go through Samaria, and nobody goes through Samaria. If you were religious, you went around it to get where you were going, because the Jews did not like the Samaritans at all. They hated one another, but Jesus says, I need to go through Samaria, and the reason wasn't because it was a shortcut and it was easier. The reason was because there was one woman who was going to be at a well at the wrong time of day. Nobody knew she was going to be there, but Jesus knew that, and he knew that he needed to talk to her specifically. Jesus constantly was going to individual people to bring about healing in their life. And so Jesus comes specifically here in this story to deal with this one man's situation, and can you can you imagine Jesus? Because we know that Jesus, he had the ability to heal all of them. We also know Jesus was a man of compassion and love. And Jesus comes into this area where all these sick people were, and he's coming to one man, but he walks through the crowds. And I, I honestly think Jesus' heart was broken for each and every person that was there, the hundreds, maybe thousands that needed healing. But he just came that day for one. And I think that this is a, a, good, a good illustration for us to understand that as we walk through this life, we can be so overwhelmed with the great need of healing in so many different people's lives. And we can be so overwhelmed that we can become paralyzed in and of ourselves of doing anything at all because the need is so great, it's so overwhelming. So God, where do I start? What can I do for the great need? And God just says, start with one. Start with one. Now, this is what Jesus did. He did this with the woman at the well. And, and what did she do? What happened with her story? She went back to her village, and she says, you all got to come see a man who knew everything about me. And the village did that. They came out. You see, one led to many, knowing Jesus. You may not think that one is really a big deal, but it was a big deal for this guy on this day. The scripture says that this guy had been like this for 38 years. Now, the brokenness of this sinful world and wreaking havoc on his body for so long, and we don't know how old he was. We don't know if he was 50 and was like this and something happened in his life. We don't know if he was only 38 years old. 
We don't know his age at all, but 38 years is a really long time to be sick and to be desperate for healing in your life. We don't know how long this guy had been here at this pool, how long he had been waiting there in great anticipation and hope uh, of him being the one who would be able to get into the pool to experience the healing that he was so desperately seeking in his life. Likely it had been several years. And this guy is laying there and he is unable to move. And we're going to see he doesn't have anybody to help him get anywhere else if he wanted to go anywhere else. But he didn't because this was his last hope. This was his last hope. And he, wouldn't miss, he did not want to miss his opportunity for healing. And then look at the question that Jesus asks him. Jesus looks at this guy, and he says, do you want to get well? Now think about this for just a moment. Now, this guy doesn't know who Jesus is, okay? He doesn't know who Jesus is. He doesn't know that Jesus is somebody that has performed miracles, that Jesus is somebody who has the ability and the power to be able to heal him. We're going to see that here in a moment. This guy has no clue who Jesus is. So think about it from, from this guy's perspective. Somebody who you don't know walks up to you. Um, you've been uh, disabled for 38 years, not able to walk. You can't walk now. And somebody walks up to you and looks at you and says, do you want to be well? Now, he's Jesus. Jesus can say and do anything he wants to do because he's Jesus. Okay, so I'm not, I'm not saying anything bad about this question. Jesus had a purpose for the question. But think about that from the perspective of this man. Have you ever had anybody ask you a dumb question? That's, I mean, you, you would think that that's what this guy would be thinking. Like, what kind of a question is that? Of course I want to be well. You think I just like sitting here, laying here all by myself, separated from friends and family? I've been like this for 38 years. Of course I want to get up and I walk, and I want to walk. Of course I don't want to be confined to this space right here. What kind of a question is this? It could have been very offensive to this guy for Jesus to ask this question. So why did Jesus ask this question? I think Jesus asked this question to bring the man some hope. See, I think this guy, he had gotten there a long time ago to this pool, and when he first arrived, he had this great hope that he was going to be one who was going to get into the water when it was stirred, and he was going to be the one who got healed. But as time passes, uh, and you have this great hope, as time passes, your hope dwindles. And I think that Jesus comes to this pool, and in this moment, this guy's hope was just as paralyzed as his body was. He didn't really have much hope anymore. Instead of having hope, this guy decided to just kind of cope with how he was in his life. This is just the way that it's going to be. But Jesus comes to him, and he says, do you want to be well? And all of a sudden, I think this guy's hope was elevated just a little bit. You see, and the truth is this in our life. You have people in your life that are in great need of healing. 
You have people in your life that they are in great need of having just a little bit of hope in their life because they've spent a lot of time now just coping with the situations that they've been in, not thinking that there's any healing or anything that's going to help them out of where they are. We, we are to go to them and to give them a little bit of hope. This is, this is our calling. Your job, if you're a follower of Jesus, listen, your job is to be a hope dealer. This is what we're to do. We bring hope to people, the people that we do life with. They need to know that there's hope for them. They need to know that there is hope. Listen, there's hope for, for their relationships, for their marriages, for their relationship with their parents or relationship with their children. They need to know that there's hope for their finances. There's hope for that job situation. There's hope for the fact that it's midterms and you forgot to study for your test today, right? There's hope. Even for situations like this guy, in, in their health situations, there's hope that can be had. And we're to bring them that hope, not because we're the hero, but because we know the hero. Right? Because we're not the hero of anybody's story. We just get to be the ones who get to introduce them to the hero of the story. Verse 7 the guy answers Jesus' question, do you want to be well? And he says, I can't, sir, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. So this guy, he's just being honest with Jesus. Jesus, this is why I am the way that I am. This is why I'm in the situation that, that I'm in. This is why I can't get any better. This is why I can't overcome this thing in my life. So someone always gets in the water before him, but there's some words in here that uh, these words, man, they crush my heart when I, when I read them. He said this, I can't, for I have no one. I have no one. The NIV says, this, says it this way. He says, I have no one to help me. So here's this guy with the potential of being healed. He had some hope at one point, but now he doesn't. He had the potential of being somebody to get into the water to be able to experience healing, and he came there with every intention of being healed. But he says this now. He says, I can't be healed because I have no one. I want you to think about those words for just a moment. And I want you to think about the people that you have in your life. And I want you to think, do those people that you know in your life that are in great need of healing, would this be what they would say? I can't be any better than what I am. I can't do anything different. I can't break that addiction. I can't overcome this struggle in my life because I have no one. Listen, they do have somebody. It's you. You are their hope dealer. You are the one that God has brought into their life. The he, this paralyzed man says, I have no one. So he's lying there helpless and hopeless and homeless. In verse 8, again, remembering this guy still has no idea who Jesus is. He doesn't know who he is. Jesus says something to him next in verse 8. Jesus told him, Stand up, 
Pick up your mat and walk. Again, try to think from this guy's perspective. After all this time of being sick, of being lame, of, of just laying there and wanting healing to come into your life, the words that Jesus spoke here could have seemed like a cruel joke. Could have been very offensive. So Jesus says, hey, I want you to pick up your mat. Stand up and walk. Get on out of here. I can just imagine this guy could have been thinking, yeah, right, get up. Jesus, don't you know that that's like, that's like the first thing I try to do every morning when I wake up, thinking that maybe God for some reason has miraculously healed me. Don't you understand that every single day I try to get up, and you're telling me now, get up and walk and just get on out of here? But something was different with the words that Jesus spoke. And by the way, something is always different when Jesus speaks. Jesus speaks these words, and it didn't just bring the healing that this man needed, but it gave him again that great hope that he had once experienced thinking he could be healed, but hadn't been. And he, so he had lost that hope, and so Jesus speaks these words, and all of a sudden, he is filled with hope again to the point where he just does it. He gets up. In verse 9, it says this, it says, instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. That's a miracle. And if we were there as this story was taking place, we would probably be, yes, yes, thank you, Jesus, for healing. What a great miracle. This is so awesome. This would be a perfect ending to the story right here. But the story isn't over because there's a big butt that gets in the way. Look what it says. It says, but this miracle happened on the Sabbath. Now, it doesn't mean a whole lot to us because we don't Sabbath very well in the culture that we live in. That's not right. That's just fact. We don't know how to rest, and we don't know how to give time over to rest and the worship of our God in a priority way. But this was a big deal to the religious leaders. And this is what it says about how they responded in verse 10. So this guy, he gets up, he walks out, he heads towards the temple, and it says here, the miracle happened on the Sabbath, and verse 10, so the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. Now think about this for just a moment. You just got healed. You've been sick for 38 years. You couldn't move. You just got healed. You're excited. You're running out of there. You got your mat and you're going. You face the religious leaders and they didn't say, well, look at you. You're healed. They didn't throw him a party. They just looked at him and said, what do you think you're doing? Why are you caring? You can't do that. This is Sabbath. They didn't care about his healing. They cared about, they cared about their rules and their tradition. You see, the Jews had these rules that you were to follow on Sabbath days, and you pretty much weren't allowed to do anything, and the things that even you were allowed, to, the Jewish religious leaders even put more restrictions on the Sabbath than what you could do. Than, than what the law had said that you were allowed to do. Now, the religious leaders said this, if you had, um, 
you know, if you had livestock that fell into a ditch, you could go get them out on that day. You could feed your livestock. Don't let there be any healing on a Sabbath. Don't do any good like that. This is the way that they thought about it. So this was a big deal, and this is why they were so critical of what Jesus had done. And then look how the guy responds in verse 11. He said, but I replied, the man who, but he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Now, I get this, because if some guy comes and he heals me from 38 years of sickness, I'm doing whatever he says to do, right? Notice he still doesn't know who Jesus is. Who said such a thing as that, they demanded. The man didn't know. He still had no idea who healed him. For Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. And I get that too, because remember, there's like hundreds or thousands of people gathered in this area. Jesus comes to one man and he heals one man. You know what the other hundreds and thousands want next? They want healing, right? But Jesus wasn't, Jesus came for the one. He came for the one that day. Verse 14, it says, but afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, now you are well, so stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. Now, we don't, we don't really know this for sure. There's a little bit of debate on whether this guy was the way that he was because of something that he had done in his life, some type of sin or something like that. Culturally speaking, again, that's how they looked at any kind of sickness. It was either your fault or your parents' fault. Uh, there, there's some warning here that maybe, maybe this guy was responsible for the circumstance that he found himself in because of what he had done previously. We don't really know that, so we won't read, read that into it. But Jesus, we do know this, once you experience healing in your life that comes from Jesus, that comes from the hero, so to say, you're, you're not just healed, but you're called to a greater way of living. You're not just healed so you can keep on doing the things. How dumb would it have been for this guy who got healed? Thanks, Jesus, but I think I'm going to stay right here. No. When you experience the healing power of God in your life, when it comes to your sin, listen, you are called to a better way of living. A different way of living. Jesus does this for this guy. He calls him to a different way of of life. Here's what I think is kind of interesting about this though as well. So let's just say this guy did sin and he was the way that he was and it was his fault that he was sick. You know what I think is great about this story is even though it's his fault, Jesus still loved him enough to go to him. And you know what that teaches me? It doesn't matter what the person in my life has done, where they've been, where they've ended up, it doesn't matter. They're still loved by God, and I need to go to them, and, and I need to be a hope, hope dealer to them, right? Introduce them to Jesus. I don't, if Jesus didn't do this, I don't have the right to do this, to look at somebody and say, no, nah, you're too far gone. Jesus went to this guy. Even if it was his fault, Jesus still took the time out to go to him. Let me give you just two last things and then we're going to be done. So what's, what's just a couple takeaways that we can take with us this morning? What does this story teach us? First of all, we need to go where there are spiritually sick people to see spiritual healing take place. We need to go where there are sick people. This is what we're called to. Jesus, 
he went where no one else wanted or would go. The religious leaders didn't come into this place. Religiously speaking, again, these guys, these sick people were considered unclean. It would have been avoided. But that's not the Jesus way. Jesus himself said, I didn't come for those who are healthy. I came for the sick. And if we want to see a spiritual healing take place in our families, in our communities, in our country, in our world, we have to go where there are spiritually sick people. And this is where you and I come in. Because we're called to be hope dealers. We're not the heroes of the story, but we get to introduce them to the hero of the story. We, need, we get to introduce them to the gospel of Jesus and let them know that there is a spiritual healing that is available, that is available for their sinful sickness. Here's the second big, big thing that I think we need to understand, and it's this. Everyone needs someone to help. It's easy to look at somebody and just kind of brush them off. Think, man, no, they just, they just need help. And who, who are we to be the ones to decide who gets help and who doesn't? Who's too far gone for Jesus to help or not? Everyone is in need of help. Every day we walk by people and we can see it in their life by the decisions that they've made, the circumstances that they have found themselves in. Their lives just scream out, I need help. And that's where we come in. That's where we come in. I go back to those words that this guy spoke. I have no one to help. Is there anybody in your life that you can think of that would be saying those words? Because that's their cry to you. To bring them a little hope. To bring them the gospel of Jesus. To introduce them to the hero of their story. This is our responsibility. It sounds a little silly, I know, but we're called to be hope dealers. So let's do that. Let's do that. Let me pray for you. Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for this responsibility that we have to bring hope to people that have no hope, to help people to see that there is a hero in their life. It's not us, it is you. I pray, Father, that we would just do our very best to keep our eyes open, spiritually speaking, to those who are in such great need of healing in their life. And I pray, Father, that we, that we could bring them along, bring them to a place where they see the love that you have for them, God, and the extent that you went to bring the healing by sending Jesus who came and lived and died and rose again. And he did all of that, not because... <laughs> Not because of what he did, but because of what we've done. And the sickness that we have called sin. God, help us to bring hope to this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.